Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew. Hello and welcome to this special edition of The Shaman's Brew. As some of you may know, our dear friend and leader, Todd Sheets, has recently been diagnosed with serious health issues and is in the hospital at this very moment. This is the reason that I have put together this special show in hopes of helping all of you to help him through this ordeal. No, I'm not going to ask you to, to send money to help him offset the cost, although I'm, I'm sure that would help a lot. Those type of actions are personal, and each one of us has to make the decision to help a friend in times of need. What I am going to ask you to do is to send Todd general healing energy to keep his life force operating at optimum levels, or to send your healing intentions in the form of prayer to your deity, regardless of what religious beliefs you may harbor. It does uh, not really matter through what avenue your prayers or intentions are sent. They will still filter through to their target. Even if you're an atheist, your intentions, based in logic, reasoning, and fact, will still be most effective. The problem that most people have in regards to sending energy or saying prayers for someone is that they simply do not understand the basics of prayer mechanics or the proper methods of building and projecting human intention to their targets. The reason for this is because it was never taught through the generations, and in time, the art of prayer evolved into a much less dynamic action in today's society in churches. Everyone has good intentions and, and go through the motions of prayer, but they base their techniques more on hoping and wishing and not putting forth the efforts needed to project intentions or prayers. If you truly want something bad enough for yourself or someone else, then you must put forth an effort worthy of the desired request. Your actions in the multiverse or directed to deity must be of sufficient form and power to expect results. I see this every day in social media networks where someone gets ill or injured and people ask for prayers or they say they will send healing energy with all the best of intentions, but then they fall into the only prayer mode they have ever known, which is passive. And passive prayer mode does not carry action. You must use a dynamic prayer mode in order to expect results. Others will close their eyes and picture white light shooting off to someone or, or even meditate and then send off what they perceive as healing energy. Again, this is a passive and not dynamic method. I'm going to play for you a show I did on the power of prayer and human intention. And I hope it will give you a grasp of the principles 
that I've been referring to when I uh, say things like dynamic intentions or dynamic projection. Keep in mind that if and when you send healing energy to Todd that you should either have something in your hands that he has touched or at least a picture of him and let that image saturate your intentions. The same goes for prayer. I should point out that in the News from the Lab segment, I am also talking about sending human intention with a friend of mine who has since passed through the veil. But what she was able to do while under scientific conditions was truly groundbreaking. Then in the last part of the show, I will be talking about a sacred power spot in Nevada where I have gone before to send energy to others as well as prayers. Power spots greatly magnify human intention, and I will be traveling to this place in the very near future to help Todd as I conduct a healing ritual from the mountaintop. So, please listen close, and then help me to help Todd in any way you can. Send him healing energy, prayers, and strength and confidence, for he will need these things now and in the future. When we are taken down by such things, we are humbled by life, which keeps things in perspective, but it sometimes makes us feel weak and depressed, and, and that is something that we cannot let happen to Todd. He will need our love, our support, on all levels, physically and emotionally. Oh, and Todd, if you're listening... Hang in there, bro. You're not alone. And we all will help you through this. And when you're back on your feet, we will energize you with the fire you need to empower your life like never before. I dedicate this show to you, bro. This is a song that uh, we wrote for a late-night talk show radio host, Art Bell. And we had a, a great time writing this one. Midnight in the desert Shooting stars across the sky It's a magical journey To take us on a ride Filled with the longing Searching for the truth Will we make it till tomorrow? Will the sun shine on And we're listening We're listening to you
That was Midnight in the Desert by Crystal Gale, a, uh, a special song she composed for Art Bell of Coast to Coast AM. In this week's show, I'm going to be talking with you about the power of intention and the proper way to build it and project it to its target. This will tie in perfectly with my News from the Lab segment because I will be discussing and presenting evidence from an experiment I conducted with the help of a colleague regarding the projection and detection of human intention with my transdimensional transceiver from a thousand miles away. I would like to start the show off by replaying a segment from a show I did a couple of years ago about the power of intention in prayer. Some of you may have heard this in a past show, but most of you have not. Even if you have heard it, I would advise using it as a refresher because I have uh, added uh, pluses to it like uh, sound backgrounds to improve the quality of the show. And it contains a lot of good information that you, uh, you really would behoove you to, uh, to consider. So sit back and relax as I once again pull back the veil and share with you the secrets of projecting the force of intention. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, protect us from all of Satan's evil temptations. Grant, O Goddess, thy protection, and in protection, strength, and in strength, understanding, and in understanding, knowledge, and in knowledge, the knowledge of justice, and in the knowledge of justice, the love of it, and in the love of it, the love of all existences, and in the love of all existences, the love of the God and Goddess. God, Goddess, in all goodness, so mote it be. Gichimanatu, creator of all the universe, 
I give thanks for the gift of life, and to the beautiful Earth Mother for sustaining that life and the lives of my brothers and sisters. God, if you get me out of this, I promise you on my soul that I will give up sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Well, on second thought, I'd like to keep the rock and roll, if that would be okay with you. Just please save my butt. Yes, indeed. Prayer. One of the most common and misunderstood acts of the human race. Prayers of all types are repeated by billions of people every single day. And yet, research indicates that more than 90% of these people do not know how to pray, nor do they understand the mechanics of prayer. More than 90%. For something that's been done by humankind for that often for thousands of years, you would think that they'd have it down pat by now. Repetitive prayers, like the children's prayer, or the proverbial saying of grace at dinner ta- at the dinner table, lose their meaning with each repetition until it becomes nothing more than a mindless act of recital to soothe our minds and consciousness. The concept of what these prayers are for is totally lost and meaningless to most people. I know the first time I was forced to say the children's nighttime prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, I became horrified when I got to the part about dying before I wake and uh, the nightly nightly reminders to reinforce my fear didn't help any. It took me a long time to be able to go to sleep without fear of dying. Then you have the Bible-thumping messengers of the Lord that speak more of sin and the evil Satan than they do of God and love. Oh, and then there's my favorite misdirection of all, the let's make a deal prayer where God is invited to come on down and save your rear end in exchange for finally taking responsibilities for your own actions. (laughs) Give me a break. All these are nothing more than meaningless, mindless recitals of misdirected intention driven by desperation, ignorance, and laziness. In many Native American and pagan prayers, we finally see an organized structure that has not fallen prey to the whitewash of mindless repetition. But this structure, in any case, is still lacking the punch needed to reach the target entity, be it God, Goddess, Creator, or even Spirit Guide. In all honesty, the closest methods to proper prayer technique is found in the Buddhist and Hindu religions. You see, you can have the most devoted, sincere, and poetically structured prayer in the world, but unless you know how to deliver it to the target, how to make it ride on the carrier waves of the universe, then all you have is a well-structured group of words that fall upon deaf ears. It's sad to think that most people pray their hearts out assuming that they're being heard loud and clear and that the Almighty will listen to every spoken word, whisper, or thought, including the mindless repetition of nonsensical thoughts that we randomly generate. The fact is that, like anything else in our lives, we must put out the proper effort to acquire the desired results, which is a good thing, for it teaches us not to be lazy and not to rely on others and to take responsibilities for our own lives. So what then is the secret to proper prayer? How do you get the attention and communicate with deity? 
with impeccable intention. It matters not what religion you follow or how many times you repeat your prayers. If you want to get the attention of your deity, then you have to speak in the universal language of visualization and send it off with a punch of pure intention from the very core of your being. And equally important, you must know where to direct your prayer. When you recite your words of prayer, don't rely on the words alone. See what you want to happen. See your request bestowed upon you. Or see an image in your mind of your great deity of being honored and filled with your love. Next, you must raise your energy levels and believe with all your heart that your message will be heard. Feel the emotion raising within. Build it to a peak and with all the willpower you can generate, blast your thoughts and images mixed with the impeccable desire and intent toward your target, this target being your deity. But where is this deity? What direction do you send your power prayer? If you send it to the heavens or even worse in all directions, then you've squandered your efforts. This may surprise a lot of you, but you must send your prayers within. Deity is everywhere. It is not in a centralized location in the clouds or even on another plane of existence. It is all around you, and it is at its strongest within you. Reach not out to deity, but within. Praying this way takes effort and practice, but almost guarantees your voice among the gods. Intention is an awesome force and literally shapes the reality of our universe. I was taught a very powerful lesson regarding intention on one of my many field trips with my own shamanic teacher. He took me to an excursion one week several miles south of the border from Nogales, Arizona. I'm not sure exactly where we were because we had been driving for many hours at night so I could see no landmarks at all. The car came to a stop and I stepped out to see a most beautiful star-filled sky with the Milky Way flowing right through Sagittarius, my astrological birth sign. I was transfixed by the heavenly sight, especially since astronomy was my first love and my major in college. Then my fascination was interrupted by the smell of a campfire. Carlos and I looked to the east and saw a faint glow over the next hill and proceeded to hike in that direction through the chaparral. I did not know why we were there or what adventure lay in store for me, so I proceeded with a little trepidation fueled by excitement. The image on the other side of the hill was very surreal and carried an air of timelessness about it, with a feel of past, present, and future all rolled into one. Sitting cross-legged around a rolled-out blanket were five shaman, two of which were Yaqui Indians, and one Pima. The other two, I believe, were Mexican. Behind them was burning four small fires, and I could tell from the stars that they were situated north, east, south, and west of the shaman's circle, and about ten feet behind them. Carlos joined them in the circle and told me to sit directly six feet behind him, and I was to be silent as I was just a witness to what was about to take place. 
as I sat down where I was instructed, I noticed that wrapped in a blanket in the center of the circle was a small girl about four or five years old. Although she was in shadows, I got the impression that she was a very sick little girl. I asked Carlos to explain, and he confirmed that the little girl was close to death, and that the shaman had been summoned by her parents to heal her. Then he held a finger to his lips, giving me the signal to be silent. One of the Yaki shaman raised his hands over the little girl and chanted something. He looked as old as dirt, but moved with the agility of a cat. He stood and circled the girl three times, and then suddenly stopped and said something to the others, which caused them all to stand and gather their items and turn to leave. I asked my teacher what was going on, and he said that the old shaman who was leading the healing was told in a vision that the girl was meant to die that it had been arranged by her own soul before she was born. I jumped to my feet in disbelief and ran over to the little girls who, whose eyes were half open and seemingly pleading for help. I felt so helpless at the moment. I did not yet have the ability to heal anyone, and I could not force them to do it. Or could I? All I know is that I had to do something. How many of you could look into the eyes of a dying child and not try to help her. My only thought was to find a way to make the shaman, the shaman come back and proceed with the healing, but how could I do that? I called out to them, pleading for them to help her, and they just shook their heads sadly and turned and walked away. It was then that I felt something inside my abdomen stirring, I thought at first I was going to be sick, but then it changed and it felt like a rocket taking off and filling me with a surge of power. I yelled out to the departing shaman in a voice that shocked myself and seemed to echo through the small canyon. They all seemed to stop dead in their tracks at the same time without turning around. I yelled out to them, which is unusual for me, that they must heal this little girl and that the arrangement with her soul and whoever had been made a long time ago and was clearly being altered now by the fact that she had enough personal power to bring them here somewhere in the middle of the desert on this fateful night. I felt my words leaving my body not from my mouth but from my stomach just above my navel. Whatever I had said or done to change the mind of the shaman seemed to work, and they returned to form the circle and started chanting and making hand gestures. This went on for at least two hours, and during that time I must have blacked out or fell asleep, because the next thing I remembered I was laying on the ground, waking up with the sun in my eyes. I could not see very well, but I heard a strange sound. It was a sound of a little girl laughing and playing with her parents. I blocked the sun and it was true, the same little girl that was dancing with death hours before was now laughing and running. My teacher nudged me in the ribs with his foot and said, Marcus, are you going to sleep all day? The shaman were nowhere in sight, and the little girl and the parents were getting into an old Chevy pickup to go home. 
We also left, and on the way home, Carlos explained to me that although I had no ability to heal the girl, I had brought about her healing through the persuasive powers of my intent, which had been driven by emotion and sheer determination. The shaman were so taken by the force of my intent that they, they took it as an omen to override the original agreement. To my knowledge, little Rosarita is still alive and well today. I will end this show now because I think the important points have been illustrated and now just need to be solidified in your mind without any more examples or explanations. Remember three key features to the power of prayer. Formulate the prayer with both words and visual images and set it firmly in your mind. Then summon up all the determination, desire, emotion, and willpower that you can. Then finally launch your prayer with all the intent within, through your higher self, and onto deity that dwells within us all. This is Marcus Leader saying thank you for listening and may all your prayers be productive, powerful, and answered. And now, news from the lab. ago, myself and a colleague set out to conduct a very bold series of experiments involving the use of human intention to communicate through dimensional boundaries, much the same way that we theorize communications from the spirit world, such as EVPs or direct voice phenomenon, enter our reality. The experiment was suggested to me by a longtime friend Danelle, who lives in Denver, Colorado. Danelle is an adept when it comes to the manipulation of human energy fields and her ability to build and project human intention are equal to or greater than anyone else I have ever known. You will uh, be hearing more about uh, Danelle very soon in an upcoming interview on this show on a different topic. Danelle proposed that we set up an experiment using my transdimensional transceiver to try to detect her projection of human intent to that device from her location 1,000 miles approximately from the lab. If you remember, 
the transdimensional transceiver is a special device I built that uses lasers that are modulated electronically with digital pulses to carry sounds through a vacuum uh, within a highly energized field. It is postulated that within this field a spirit or entity would be able to modulate the carrier beam using a yet unknown technique that I suspect is similar to the energy of human intention. The thought of a living human trying to breach dimensional barriers using thought and intention was something that had not, I had never entertained until uh, Donnell uh, suggested it to me. And I have to admit, while it was a rather bold and intriguing experiment, I did not have uh, high expectations toward positive results. Much to my surprise and delight, my skepticism was totally unfounded. Not only was the experiment a uh, success, but the quality of sound captured was exceedingly high and unmistakable. Although we had only two sound samples captured in the 30-minute experiment, it was enough to consider the first initial experiment a complete success. I suspect that the reason there was only two short sound samples captured was because of the nature of the carrier wave I was transmitting through the device. It is my theory that certain harmonic frequencies when played in a closed environment interact with each other like a, um, like a combination lock affecting the surface of the veil or buffering zone that separates our dimension from that of spirit. A sympathetic resonance is then established by the pulse harmonics and I suspect that it makes the transference of energy from one dimensional system to another more conducive allowing this energy we call intention to interact with our senses as well as our electronic equipment. However, finding the right combination of harmonics that will open this dimensional lock is a uh, very difficult task. Consequently, I created a series of evolving modulations from seven different complex harmonic sounds. This means that there is a constant changing set of harmonics during the entire experiment. And during the two moments of sound capture, the combination of harmonics would have been perfect for opening energy portals. This means the key to a successful second experiment will be found in the isolation of those particular harmonic frequencies. The experiment was set up at a specific time and designed to last for 30 minutes during which time I would have the TDT or transdimensional transceiver operating with the evolving modulations pulsing through the laser. One important fact to uh, consider when listening to the following sound clips is that there is no microphone of any kind hooked up to the transdimensional transceiver. During the experiment, Danelle focused her thoughts and projected her intentions, but I was not aware of what she would be saying or doing at the time. The following is a shortened section of the sound captures, which in reality took place only about a minute apart, suggesting that the harmonic combination had been ideal during that part of the experiment. You will hear a short bell ring 
and then Danelle's voice say Mark, which is uh, the way she normally addresses me. I will play the clip twice to make sure you do not miss it. did not hear this in real time, although I am sure I would have if the volume on the receiver side was up high enough. Since I was unaware of what Danelle was doing, the bell sound puzzled me until after she told me that she had started the ritual-like process with the ringing of a bell. She also called my name more than once during the experiment. I sent the, uh, the clip to her for her evaluation, and after comparing the frequency of the captured sound of the bell to the actual bell, she found that it matched. She also identified the voice as hers without a doubt. We will continue this line of experimenting in, in the future under even tighter control factors, and we'll be sure to keep you all updated as the results come in. In the first episode of Sacred Soils on the Shaman's Brew, I'm going to take you to southern Nevada to a sacred mountain called Spirit Mountain. I call this expedition the Portals of Spirit Mountain. If it were not for my brother, I would have never discovered this exotic power spot called Spirit Mountain or experienced the incredible feelings of walking through a truly powerful energetic vortex, which I suspect could serve as an interdimensional portal between worlds under the right conditions. Not only could we feel the energy of this sacred place, we were able to photograph a vortex with its eerie set of energy tentacles that wrapped around my brother as he stepped into the portal. About three years ago, my older brother had told me about this place in the desert that he had been visiting for over 20 years. He was telling me that it contained many petroglyphs, and he also got uh, the feeling that he was not alone in the canyon when he knew he was. It was not until he mentioned seeing strange petroglyphs that looked like Irish ogham markings, which... Uh, or an ancient form of Celtic writing in Ireland, that he caught my attention. Most of these petroglyphs are a thousand years old or older. How could there be Celtic writing on these stones from that time? Then, when he showed me pictures, he had taken of a hand-carved stone monolith on top of Spirit Mountain. I was hooked and we started making plans to meet at my father's house in Arizona, only a short distance from the mountain. 
Spirit Mountain is one of those extremely rare sacred places of power that exists only a few miles away from a major city, yet has remained hidden in obscurity and undiscovered until now. Part of the reason that the energetic properties of this place have remained secret to modern civilization is due to an adjacent canyon that contains an abundant supply of Native American petroglyphs, or rock writings, that draw all the attention away from the power place. This canyon is considered sacred to several Native American cultures over the last thousand or more years as indicated by the layering of drawings on the rocks and cliffs. Some of these drawings are unique and unlike anything I have ever seen. Located in the southern part of the Nevada desert, about 90 miles from Las Vegas, Spirit Mountain rises in contrast to the desert floor with its pale whitish terrain overlooking the Colorado River only six miles away. Its uh, light-colored peaks make it easy to find as it stands out from the rest of the tan-colored chaparral of the area, which is probably what uh, first drew the Native Americans to investigate this place. Upon visiting, the early Americans would have discovered a natural artesian spring where water flowed right out of the ground and winding through the canyon for a quarter mile and then just disappearing right back into the ground before it left the canyon. This in itself would have been an excellent reason for native cultures to consider this a sacred place in the desert, if it were anywhere else. But with the Colorado River being only a short walk away, the Artesian Spring had little value to these people. There had to be something more to this mountain and adjacent canyon besides water. Something that would draw indigenous people to this rattlesnake-ridden mountain over and over for a millennium. We could find no signs of long-term habitation, not even blackened walls from campfires, so we ascertained that it is some sort of meeting place, either for social reasons or more likely religious worship. My years of shamanic training told me that this must be a place of power that indigenous people must have sensed upon entering this area. If you walked into a place of power like Spirit Mountain or Sedona's Bell Rock or several other places on the planet, you would instantly know that something was different by the way that your mind awakens or the way you feel like you're not alone. From your inner core, you feel a subtle vibration resonating with different parts of your body. These feelings are caused by the natural earth energies that are erupting through the energy meridians of the planet and flowing out of the ground in a magnificent shower of shimmering energy. This energy flows up into the air sometimes, extending a mile or more before it loops back down and flows back into the earth to complete the cycle again. All living things, including the earth, exhibit this type of energy flow. In humans, we call it life force, chi, prana, orgone, or many other names, but in all things, it is the same primal force that resonates throughout the entire multiverse. Humans are drawn to places like this 
because of the energetic vitality they experience and the sense of connectedness with the spiritual side of reality. This is exactly what we experienced at Spirit Mountain, just as generations of indigenous people must have experienced as well. Our first expedition into this enchanted power spot took place about three years ago in the cooler, mild climate of fall. We had decided to wait until summer's end due to the heat and the thick infestation of rattlesnakes indigenous to the area. After pulling off the main highway and driving across the chaparral on a narrow, sandy washboard road for several miles, the light-colored majestic peaks of Spirit Mountain suddenly appeared directly in front of us. At that moment, I could sense the sacredness of this place so intently that I wanted to stop the vehicle and just sit there soaking up the incredible view. This was going to be an adventure. When we came to the, the end of the dirt road, Spirit Mountain and its adjacent canyon still set about a mile and a half in the distance. So we parked, packed up our gear, and hiked into the canyon at the foot of the mountain. The closer we got, the more drawn I became to the energy of this place. Walking along an ancient footpath, I could only imagine what the first people to this site must have felt, knowing instinctively that they were walking into the land of the Creator. I couldn't help but to get goosebumps, even in the warmth of the sun and the feeling of lightheadedness so often associated with places of power was beginning to take place. The first thing I noticed as my brother and I entered the canyon was the deafening silence and serenity of the canyon. Lush with growth from artesian springs, it was truly an oasis in the desert. The dark, oxidized walls of the narrow canyon were covered with centuries of native drawings of all kinds of pictures of animals, odd shapes, and even symbols. There was even a picture of what seemed to be a woolly mammoth. I felt like we had literally stepped back through time. The next thing I noticed was one of the many oddities that we encounter every time we venture into this place. The abundance of crows. To the shaman, the crow is a great spirit animal, mainly because of their intelligence and commonality. A crow can move about with little attention from humans, where as a hawk or an eagle or some other majestic bird of prey draws our imaginations to it. This is also why shape-shifting shaman prefer the form of a crow. In this canyon, the crows were watching us with great curiosity. One even landed a short distance from me on a protruding rock and watched intently as I walked by. The really eerie thing about this crow is that I snapped a picture of it and I could clearly see it in the viewfinder of my specially built deep infrared camera from Modatronics. But the only thing the camera recorded was the rock the crow sat on. The crow itself did not appear on the image. This happened twice in a row when I knew that it was in the viewfinder. This confirmed, beyond any doubt, 
that we were in a place teeming with spirits and possibly other magical beings. After asking permission from the spirits in a sacred manner and offering a gift of sacred herbs to the canyon, we proceeded to explore this amazing place. I had brought some of my specially designed electronic equipment used to investigate paranormal hauntings in hopes of detecting some of the energies flowing through this sacred place. Included in my arsenal of scientific toys was a deep infrared camera from Modatronics used to capture the extremely low end of the visible spectrum. A paramagnetic resonance meter that I designed and built myself, which is used to measure subatomic spins of electrons in the outer orbits of atoms, an EMF meter, and meters to measure magnetic and gravitational fields, as well as an assortment of regular cameras. Often, places of power, as well as haunted locations, exhibit unusually high paramagnetic resonance caused by the flow of subtle energy. This is also what I believe causes what is known as residual hauntings of a place. Electron spin orientation can be affected by certain types of energy and situations of great emotional intent from humans. Along with a few other cameras, we started to explore the canyon before taking on the treacherous climb up to the Spirit Mountain summit. My brother was filming and photographing primarily in the visible light spectrum while I shot in deep infrared. I was shooting in the lower spectrum with the hopes of picking up some of the more intense energy fluctuations, and it did not take long until I caught something incredible. While letting my brother take the lead on one side of the canyon walls, I followed about 15 feet behind taking pictures of the canyon as well as of him. I had this idea that energy vortexes or even possibly interdimensional portals may be triggered into action if disturbed by human energy. <laughs> yes, I was using my brother as a guinea pig. Sorry, bro, it was in the interest of science after all. While using my brother as bait, I continued to snap pictures of him with the deep infrared and in only a matter of minutes, my theory was substantiated as I captured long, energetic tentacles that shot up out of the ground and wrapped entirely around my brother up to his shoulders and triggering some kind of an aurora effect in the immediate area. He was not aware of anything uh, taking place at the time, and that I did not have time to tell him as I kept snapping pictures, and then it was gone as suddenly as it appeared. It seemed that once the energetic anomaly was triggered, that it required time to rebuild its threshold power until triggering again. However, we were not able to get it to trigger again during this trip. Then I took out my paramagnetic resonance meter and started systematically scanning the entire area while simultaneously reading backgrounds, electromagnetic densities, and gravitational fluctuations. I was uh, hoping that I might detect either an energy vortex such as uh, like our chakras or an actual dimensional portal that are believed to occur in places of energetic vortexes such as this. Within an hour, 
I had two confirmed vortex readings. One I stood in while my brother took pictures, and the other he stood in while I shot pictures. We both could feel the change in energy as we stood within the mini vortexes. As exciting as these discoveries were, I was intent on finding a dimensional portal. Portal research has always been one of my most passionate areas of research, as well as uh, time anomalies, and I was certain that this place harbored at least one of them, if not both. About two hours into the investigation, I started picking up an extremely strong, unusual reading in the ground beneath my feet, indicating the possible existence of a fluctuating shift of paramagnetism, which is indicative to a suspected portal. The LCD display of my paramagnetic meter was showing a dark, a dark uh, deep blue pocket of shifting energy about 10 feet below me and extending out about 20 feet in all directions, and it was moving. I immediately took a second static reading to determine the direction and was shocked to find out it was rising toward me, sitting now only four feet from the surface. My uh, first reaction as a scientist was to take another reading, but my second reaction as a shaman was to leap out of the area as quickly as possible to avoid the possibility of being swallowed up into another dimension. There have been many reports throughout history of people vanishing from places like this without a trace, as well as historical mysteries of entire races of indigenous people disappearing from the face of the earth. Feeling somewhat foolish, I opted to do both by taking a last snapshot reading before sprinting out of the area like a madman. My shamanic instincts proved to be the wiser of the two, as my last reading showed something breaking the surface of the ground only seconds before I left. Although I could not capture anything on film, I could see it with my shamanic sight like a shimmering cloud of heat waves rising about a dozen feet or so and then snapping right back into the earth. By this time it was getting late in the afternoon so we decided to head to the summit of the mountain. On the way up we came across one of the most historically intriguing finds of the expedition. About 30 feet up the cliff there was a large rock with an enormous amount of petroglyphs, one of which was a distinct sailing vessel looking very much like the ancient Viking ships. These petroglyphs are between 800 and 1,000 years old. How did people from 800 to 1,000 years ago ever see a Viking ship in the desert? The only answer we could formulate is that at some time in the past, Viking explorers must have sailed into the mouth of the Colorado River from the Gulf of California and got at least as far as this point on the Nevada-Arizona border. We are still investigating these petroglyphs as they also contain what looks like a possible map of some kind. After an hour and a half, we finally reached the summit and I was shocked at the gorgeous view of the desert below with the Colorado River in the distance. Turning around to look the other way, my shock turned to awe as I was standing in the presence of a huge man-made standing stones at the very top of Spirit Mountain. 
and the photographs that uh, we were able to capture, we could see a very weathered yet distinctly carved stone that must have been uh, used as markers or monuments to honor the gods. After returning home, we, we made some phone calls to the local universities and discovered that, to our knowledge, these standing stones are unknown to archaeologists. This was surprising to me since this is not an unknown area, but as one of the ex experts explained, there are so many archaeological sites in the area that they simply do not have enough manpower to investigate all of them. In time, perhaps we will. Before leaving the mountain, we noticed that on one side of one of the standing stones there was an eroded carving of what looked like an eye, very similar to the Egyptian eye of Horus, and it was gazing out across the desert into Arizona. We are planning another expedition into this area in the coming months, in which we will try to find out what the eye of Spirit Mountain Monolith is looking at. Our investigations of Spirit Mountain are ongoing, and I will continue to bring updates as they unfold. If you would like to learn more about my sacred site research and other items I encounter on my journeys, then please visit my website, www.sacredsoils.com, and browse through the many wonders and items I offer to my readers. I will be updating the site within the next couple weeks with information and pictures from Spirit Mountain. Feel free to contact me as well through the website. This is Marcus Leader, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope 105 FM on the Jackalope Media Network. <laughs>